Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 1 down to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Well, let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and most merciful Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word which reveals uh, to us your character, your deeds and the hope that we have. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit now that we, our minds would be focused and our hearts would be subtle and humble, that uh, we would indeed change to be more the people you would have us be. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago I met a man in a shop who I kind of had a sneaking suspicion that he might have been a South Sydney Rabbitohs supporter. Um, why would I have thought that? Was it the... Uh, <laughs> was it the green and gold plates on his car? Uh, was it his... Um, South Sydney uh, jersey that he, that he was wearing? Was it his South Sydney cap? Was it his actual South Sydney uh, tracksuit pants that he was wearing, which he pulled up at the ankle to show me his South Sydney socks? Uh, he offered to show me another item of his clothing with the uh, South emblem on it, which I declined to look at. Uh, maybe that was the case. Uh, you see... The Rabbitohs had lost seven matches uh, this season, but they had just beaten the Titans 36 to 20. He was a happy man. He was ecstatic, a bit over the top, but he had something to, to boast about. And I like that kind of boasting, don't you? It's the, the kind of boasting which uh, finds its origin in joy and the joy just sort of overflows so that you just want to tell everyone about it. You want everyone to know what's, what's going on. It's okay to be like that. And uh, sometimes I think we can be a bit like that and it's a good thing. Uh, when, for example, someone whom we love does something which is really good, um, our children or, or a friend, uh, when they succeed in something that they've 
worked hard for at school or in sport. And we boast. Uh, we boast because we, we just cannot contain our joy. We want to share. We want to share it with others. That's a good kind of boasting, don't you reckon? Uh, there is, of course, a form of boasting which is dreadful. Uh, the boasting which doesn't flow from joy, but which flows from self-centeredness. The person who's just continually boasting about themselves. and uh, A boasting which kind of elevates the person who's doing the boasting uh, and even can put other people down. Now, we Aussies, we're not um, great fans of that kind of boasting, are we? Uh, we don't like that. But there is a good form of boasting. And in our passage today, there is a, uh, which is Romans uh, 5, you might want to open that up. There is a form of boasting, where there is a, a joy which we have as Christians that ought to just so overflow in our lives that we just want to tell everybody about it. We're so excited about it. We, uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I need to say something about the word rejoice then, because if you're uh, following this on a, a device uh, rather than Pew Bible, you're going to see a different word. Uh, the word that's um, translated as rejoice uh, has that sense of boasting. It can equally be translated as boasting. It's the same word which Paul used earlier on in this letter uh, when he referred to um, Jewish people who were, were bragging about, who were boasting about their relationship with God. And it was a, a negative kind of boasting there, a, a, a boasting which was ill-founded, actually. Well, here it's the same word, and it has that sense of that, that boasting, which is the overflow of joy. And we can see why it would be translated as rejoice in some of your Bibles. So what does it mean to boast or to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because that's what this passage is about. Well, in Romans, we've already been introduced to the idea of the glory of God. But it's been negative, hasn't it? Because in chapter 3, verse 23, uh, the glory of God is something which we've all fallen short of. Remember that? Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, God's righteousness, God's perfection. It's what Adam and Eve shared in before the fall. Made in God's image, made to obey God, so that his glory would be seen in them and yet they lost it. They rebelled. They lost God's glory. And now because we've inherited their sinful nature, because of our sin, every one of us fails to be the people who God meant us to be. We fall short of God's glory. Is that something to boast about? Is that something to rejoice in? Of course not. But Paul here speaks of 
something which is a hope for the future. A future when we will perfectly share in God's glory and God will be fully glorified in us. It's something which Paul says that we can rejoice in because we can fully expect that it will happen. We have that hope. It's a certain hope. Now, usually it's not a great idea to rejoice or to boast about something which hasn't quite happened yet because it may not happen. And you might end up being disappointed and embarrassed. You might end up hanging your head in shame. So why is this different? Why can we confidently hope that we will share in the glory of God as if it's a done deal? Well, what Paul says in verse 1 is really quite astonishing. And that is that we now have peace with God. By the way, that doesn't mean that we just feel peaceful. <clears throat> There's lots of things that can make me feel at peace and to feel peaceful. A nice, peaceful, sunny afternoon, that'll make me feel peaceful. We can get subjective feelings of peacefulness by um, going down to the beach early in the morning and relaxing down there. Uh, this is not the same thing. Lots of things can make us feel at peace but this has got to do with our relationship status with God. That is, because of sin, we used to be offside with God. In verse 10, uh, Paul says that we were God's enemies. But because Christ took the penalty for our sin, and we trust in that, uh, Paul here is able to say that we are now justified, that we are now right with God, uh, that our relationship with God has changed so that therefore we are now at peace with God, which means that the war is over. And, and of course, uh, when the war is over, you do experience those subjective feelings of peace, don't you? When the objective reality of our relationship with God has been fixed when we are now at peace with God rather than being an enemy of God, then we can expect to experience the feelings of contentment, of happiness and joy which flow from that. Our relationship status with God has changed. So that in verse 2, we have now gained access into, his, into this grace in which we now stand. Gained access. It's great to gain access into things which we previously could not gain access into. And here it's the sense of uh, gaining access, access into the presence of someone, uh, an access which previously was denied to us. Uh, yesterday, or on Friday actually, at the G20 meeting in Hamburg, Apparently Malcolm and Lucy Turnbull, they needed a ride to a concert. Did you hear about that? Now apparently there's people protesting in the streets of Hamburg, there's hundreds of people being injured and fires everywhere and all this sort of business and the President of the United States happened to be there at the time with his beast. You know what the beast is, don't you? 
That's his, um, his uh, uh, bulletproof, grenade-propelling, motorcade-surrounded vehicle. Need a lift? Access granted. Hop on in. So Malcolm Turnbull apparently was quite chuffed that he had gained access, that he could ride around the streets of Hamburg in The Beast with the President of the United States. Something to boast about. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Friends, through Jesus, we have gained access into the grace of the supreme ruler, the one who is the king of kings, the one who is God, our creator. Now, that is something which ought to give us confidence, or it not. That gives us confidence in terms of, of who we are. It gives us confidence in terms of our future. So that we can be like, we can sing that hymn that goes, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. That's our future. That's our hope. But we're not there yet, are we? And this side of heaven, we, we live in a fallen world where we go through trials, suffering, sickness, disappointments, relation issues, relationship issues and so on. It can be tough to stand firm for godliness. We may even experience rejection because we name Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And when you think about it, if Christian faith was just a philosophical idea, if Christian faith was just, a, um, a, a, just our culture, our tradition, then in the face of sufferings, well, you, you might as well give up, shouldn't you? I mean, it makes sense to give up if it's just a philosophical position that you hold. Why would you bother standing firm as a Christian and copying and suffering for it if it was just a, philosoph a philosophy or a tradition or a culture? But it's neither of those. It's a relationship, a relationship with God. A God who is sovereign, a God who is in control of our world and our lives, a God uh, who has a, we have a relationship with, which means that the sufferings and the trials of life actually are used by God to help us. They help us think through who he is, who we are, what he's done for us. They help us to think through what we believe about what is true and right and valuable. Have a look at verse 3. In verse 3, um, not only so, says Paul, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? We boast in our sufferings. But he says it's because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That is, we dig our heels in, we stick at it, and perseverance produces character. And the word there can also mean provenness. That is, we, it, we, it proves our character, it tests our character, it tests whether or not we're actually genuine. And that character then produces hope. That is, the hope which 
causes us to stand firm through the trials in the first place, actually uh, through perseverance and character, ends up reinforcing our hope even more so. Now, uh, there are times when I've spent um, time with uh, Christians who have been uh, suffering terribly. I've spent time with Christians who've suffered from dreadful health issues. I've spent time with Christians who have suffered persecution of a severe type, uh, even imprisonment for their faith. And I've always felt that they have encouraged me more than I've encouraged them. As they've shown to me how they've been able to rise above their sufferings, they've been able to, to look beyond that horizon and they've been able to do so with their, with their eye firmly fixed on future glory, on what God has in store for them. Uh, we're in Revelation chapter 21, that hope, that certain hope that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. My problem is this. My problem is I want to grow in godliness, but I don't want to suffer. And yet, and yet God refines us through our suffering so that we, uh, we, we loosen our, the grip that we have on our idols and we look forward to the hope of glory and we live our lives in the light of that. Which means that rather than despairing, uh, we can rejoice. We can actually boast about our sufferings um, as we grasp hold of God's purpose for us uh, through those trials, through those difficulties. But still, someone might say, I trust that Christ died for my sins, but I'm still, I still lack confidence. I'm still not sure about myself personally. I trust that he died for sins, but how can I be absolutely sure that I, that me, that I personally will be saved? Now, I know Christians who sometimes actually struggle with this. And uh, when I've scratched a bit below the surface, I I've discovered that the reason for that is because of the sins that they have committed in the past. Uh, sometimes um, sins which have been uh, profound uh, in the damaging effect that they've had on others. And, um, and they struggle to deal with that. And so they ask, I know that Christ has died for sins, but is it valid for me? Is it valid for me to have that certain and sure hope? Uh, or will I be disappointed? Will I be put to shame on the day of judgment? Verse 5. Paul says, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us couple of things there. First of all, 
uh, we can be assured of our relationship with God for we see not only has God lavished his love upon us in Christ but also that he has poured out his love into our hearts and how has he done that he's done that through the Holy Spirit you see without the Holy Spirit none of us could be Christians someone who is spiritually dead with a cold stony heart cannot bring themselves to life the only reason that any one of us can have that change of mind and change of heart that means that we actually put our trust in the gospel and turn back to God the only reason that can happen is because God by his spirit has invaded our lives that in doing so he has removed that heart of stone and has given us a heart of flesh that we will respond to him and so if you have been changed by the gospel and you know whether or not you've been changed by the gospel then that is because you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit uh, Paul says elsewhere is the the deposit which guarantees our inheritance guarantees that you play a part that the glory of God uh, will be yours secondly if that is not enough grounds for hope in verses 6 through to 8 Paul asks this question and that is what kind of people do you think Christ actually died for have a look at verse 6 you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, and the idea there is helplessness and a complete and utter inability to do anything about our sinful situation and the judgment that was ours, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us can I ask you what kind of a person would you intentionally make the decision to sacrifice your life for what who would be the people that you would actually decide to die so that they can live uh, last year uh, I visited the remains of the Broad Arrow Cafe uh, in Port Arthur and I was moved by the stories of, that I read about of husbands uh, shielding their wives from the gunmen and taking the bullet for themselves. Uh, I pray that I would do such a thing. But here Paul is not talking about how close you are necessarily in relationship to a person. He's talking about the issue of merit, of worthiness, of deservedness to be died for. Uh, would you die for someone, would you die in someone's place purely because they were a righteous person, that you knew that they're a godly person, even though you may not necessarily know them personally. Probably not. 
Probably not. Uh, what about the person who has done some good towards you, a good person? Would you die for them? Maybe. Maybe you might, says Paul. Uh, friends, God's love stands in radical contrast to ours because who did Christ die for? You might say, but I'm not worthy that he should die for me. I know my life. I know what I've done in the past. I know my sin. I, I know he died on the cross for sins, but I just don't deserve it, and so I'm not sure. Well, you're right. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God demonstrates, that is, he reveals and he proves the unconditional character of his love in that although we were not righteous, although we were not good, although we were still sinners, what did he do for us? He died for us. He died for you no matter what, no matter your past, no matter who you are, he died for you. So therefore, what does your future hold? If you have been justified through Jesus' death, should you have any doubts that God will save you on the day of judgment? Should you have any fears that on the day of judgment that you won't make it through if you've been justified by Christ? Have a look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Friends, not only have we been justified, but here in these verses, Paul introduces a new term, and that is the term reconciliation. We've been justified, we've also been reconciled. Now, the two are not quite the same thing. Uh, let me explain. Uh, let's say uh, you... Um, you're caught speeding. None of us here would be caught speeding ever, right? That's never. It wouldn't happen. But let's say, you know, theoretically, hypothetically, you were caught speeding and you decided that you were going to contest uh, the fine. And so you go to the local court and the magistrate finds you that you are actually guilty and the penalty is that you're going to have to cough up. You're going to have to pay the fine. So you pay the fine. Now, from that moment on, you are what the Bible would call justified. Not that speeding is justifiable, but you're justified in the sense that you, know, you no longer have a debt outstanding. The penalty has been paid. Your debt has been paid. 
you're now, uh, you're now cleared. So you're justified. But you don't actually need to be reconciled to the magistrate, do you? I mean, you didn't sin against him, unless he owned the road that you were speeding up. Uh, he doesn't know you, uh, nor does he necessarily want to know you. It's not personal. And it's the same with many religions. You sin, you go to the temple, you offer up your sacrifice, <clears throat> you're justified. Your debt is cleared. But there's no loving relationship with, this, with, the, with the idol, with the so-called God or goddess. There is no need for reconciliation. The concept of reconciliation doesn't actually come into the equation. But God who made you is relational, is loving. He's actually our judge and our sin is against him. It's very personal, very personal. So that when he justifies us at the incalculable cost of the death of his son, it's not just a debt which is cleared, it's a relationship which is fixed, restored, reconciled. We are now reconciled to our God. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to treat my friends a little bit better than I treat my enemies. Is that true of you? That's just the way things are. We've got to love our enemies, but naturally I want to treat my friends better than I treat my enemies. Well, when we were God's enemies, how did he treat us? He actually lavished his love upon us when we were his enemies. Now we've been reconciled. Now that he has made you his friend, how do you reckon he's going to treat you? What do you think your future holds? Any reason to have any doubts about the hope of glory? No, as friends of God, all our fears should be washed away. All our fears of judgment, no more. We boast, we look forward to the hope of glory and with good reason. Already reconciled through Christ's blood, Paul says, how much more will we now be saved through his resurrection life? How much more? In Romans chapter 2, as I mentioned earlier, Paul rebuked uh, religious people, the, the Jews who boasted in their own righteousness. They thought, look, we're okay with God. You know, we've got the law, we've got the sacrifices, we've got the temple, we've got the covenant, we're, we're, and we do pretty well at it. We you know, can tick the box to say we obey all these things. And Paul says, well, you who boast about your relationship with God, aren't you the ones who rob temples? Uh, and he goes on with a list to expose that their hope, that their boasting, that their rejoicing was based on a false premise. We boast not in ourselves, but in God. Our boast is in Jesus Christ. 
Our boast is in the sure and certain hope that we have of God's glory. When Jesus is finally and fully revealed at the second coming of Christ and when our sin is is done away with entirely, when we live forever as the people God made us to be, living in his glory, reflecting his glory forever and ever, not because of us, but because of Jesus. That South Sydney supporter I met, he thought he had something to boast about. And he just wanted everybody to know how good his team was. I I can't imagine uh, how he celebrated the following week when South beat the Panthers by 42 to 14. He must have been ecstatic. What else could he do to... Although after yesterday's defeat, I don't think he's going to be singing glory, glory to South Sydney for much longer. But you and I can sing about glory, can't we? We can sing about glory forever and ever. For we have an uncontainable joy which overflows not in the clothes that we wear, but in the confident, contented and joyful lives that we live. As we look forward to God's glory, as we live our lives in the light of that, and as we tell others of that unconditional love that Christ, whilst we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us, that he died for all who put their trust in him. That's something to boast about, don't you reckon? That's something to rejoice in. That's something to tell the world about. Let's pray about it, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you that we have good reason to boast, not in ourselves, but in you and in the hope of glory. Father, we thank you for your amazing and incredible and unconditional love that Christ died for sinners. Father, we pray that... um, our confidence would be built on that and that we would live our lives in the light of that sure and certain hope. Father, we pray that many, many more people would come to know hear about Jesus and put their trust in him and help us to be the people who reflect your glory so much now that others would be drawn into that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.